life is filled with moments. And to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Understanding that God loves you is an important part of growing as a believer. Impacting how you relate to others, how you think, how you live. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah lets God's Word act as a mirror to help you see the changes that ought to be happening in your life as a result of God's love. Listen as David shares today's encouraging message, God's love changes everything. And friends, thank you so much uh, for listening today. We're coming to the conclusion of our series on the love of God. God loves you. He always has, and he always will. I want to remind you again that uh, all of the resources for that series are available from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. You can go there and get a copy of the full-length book, God Loves You, He Always Has, and He Always Will. You can get the study guide that goes with it, and there is a CD uh, package and a DVD package. You can get those for your own use. You can get them to use in small group Bible studies. You can get them to use in your church. Most of all, get them to uh, let this truth roll over you once again. Get enveloped in the love of God, and the truth of that is in this book. I hope it will keep you in the center of God's love. We want you to know you can get that material by going to our website, but it is not our resource for this month, as you know. Our resource is a companion book that has just been released by Nancy DeMoss. It's a Moody Press book, and it is filled with this wonderful truth that God is in charge. Heaven rules. You don't have to worry about all the unplugged things that are happening down here. You can look at them, but don't panic because God's got it all in his hands. And if you read this book, you will come away with that confidence. That's what happened to me. I read it, and I wrote the forward to it, and I want you to have it. It's yours for the asking when you send your gift to Turning Point today. And time is running out, folks. This gift is going to go away in a couple of days. So this offer is only available through the month of January. Make sure you get your gift in the mail today and ask for your copy of Heaven Rules. Well, we want to kind of wrap up this series with sort of a concluding message. And here's the title of this message. God's love changes everything. Part one. This is the final message in the series on the love of God. And I want to tell you what a blessing it has been for me not only to study, to prepare for these messages, but to learn even more in my own heart about the love of God and to see how it impacts our lives. And today I want to conclude with sort of a call to action, if you will. There's a question that every preacher should ask when he preaches periodically and even say it out loud to his people. So what? So God loves us. So what? What should we do about that? Do we just sit at home and reflect on the love of God and have warm fuzzies in our heart and think, oh, it's just so wonderful to know God loves us? No. The Bible does not give us that option. The Bible tells us that because of God's love, we are responsible to do something. It was the Apostle John who was the great champion of the love of God in the New Testament. The story is that as the Apostle John got older, 
He began to preach the same message over and over again wherever he went and especially to his own people. Every time he got up to preach, he preached on the love of God. Occasionally, some impatient member of his congregation would raise their hand and say, Brother John, you've already preached that one. Can you tell us something new? And then he would respond back to them, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. And he would preach the same message again. He would preach on love every time he preached. Now, he wasn't senile. He wasn't losing it. He just understood perhaps more deeply than the rest of us that when you get to the end of the story, there's really only one story to tell. And that's the story of God's love for us and how it affects us. In fact, God's love affects us in such a way that it will change everything about us if we understand it correctly. It will change our relationships. And what is life if it is not relationships? It changes our relationship to God, to ourselves, to other Christians, to those around us in the world, and even to our enemies. That's the nature of the love of God. I remember when I first discovered this paradigm, how exciting it was to me, because it's easy for me to picture it in my mind. It's like a pebble dropped in the water and the concentric circles that go out from that pebble. That's the story of our responsibility as Christians now that we know that God loves us. So I'm gonna give you that picture today, starting with the center and moving out away from the center as we ask ourselves this question, God loves me, so what? What do I do with it? First of all, let me point out to you that because God loves you, you can love him. You say, I don't need God to love me for me to love him, oh yes you do. And I want to tell you why you do, because love begins with God. Love originates with God. Without God, there is no love. If God didn't love you first, you wouldn't have any love to give back to him. That's what the word of God says in 1 John chapter 4. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now notice, we love him because he first loved us. Men and women, we don't have any capacity to love if God doesn't give it to us. We are not loving creatures by nature. God's love was not shown to us because we first loved him. In fact, as we've learned in our series, by our own actions, we have proven not to be very lovable people. When God was giving us his greatest gift, we were throwing it back in his face in rebellion. The Bible says that before God entered our lives with his love, we were like enemies to him. We were in our own sin, doing our own thing, not God conscious at all. Yet God proved the greatness of his love by continuing to lavish it upon us in spite of our rebellion, even sending his own son to take the punishment for our sins. So God is our only source of love. We have no innate capacity, no self-originating state of love to give him we can only give what we receive and when we receive god's love the indwelling holy spirit makes it possible for to take the love that god has given us and reflect it back to him so the first thing that you need to know about today's lesson is this because god loves us we now can love him Without his love for me, I wouldn't have any ability to love him. 
I am so grateful that I can love my God because he's given me the love with which to do it. And the second circle goes like this. Because God has loved us, we can love ourselves. I know how shocked some of you may be to hear me say that. It seems like loving yourself is not something we should ever say in a Christian message. But let me tell you that nine times in the New Testament, we're told to love ourselves. The Bible says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. So how are we going to know how to love our neighbors if we don't know how to love ourselves? And I have to believe that the notion of self-love has seriously been abused in our culture But that is no reason why we should not understand that God has given to us instruction to love ourselves. I would have a feeling that for many of you, the most difficult person in the world for you to love is that person you see in the mirror when you get up every morning. I hear stories about people who have hate for themselves, whose whole lives are impacted by the fact they never make peace with themselves. Let me tell you something I've learned by studying the love of God. Unless we learn how to receive God's love in our hearts, we cannot ever have any love to give to anybody else. We have to start with God's love for us. And you say, well, Dr. Jeremiah, what does it mean that God wants us to love ourselves? I don't know all that it means, but let me tell you what I do know. What I do know, it means that we are to love ourselves in the same way that God loves us. We are creatures that are made in his image. We're made for his purpose and for his glory. And to love ourselves as God loves us means that we seek after God's best for our lives. That we conform ourselves to his expectations. That we live according to his guidelines. And we want to be God's people. We want to be worthy to be called the children of God. And so every day our lives are reflecting his love for us. And as we see God work in our lives, we come to the place where we can say, you know, I like who God is making me to be. And you can look in the mirror and you can feel good about who you are because you're an object of the love of God. Let me tell you something, friends. Christ Jesus died on the cross for every one of us. It's an insult to God for us not to love someone that God loves. God loves you. He died for you. And you need to understand his love for you and then apply it to your own love for yourself. This is not about becoming self-centered. It's not about ego-drivenness. This is simply about having the proper appraisal of who you are before God. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans. He said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Men and women, we are creatures who've been created in the image of God. Let's don't go around trashing ourselves Out of some false sense of humility, God has loved us and given his son for us, and he considers us to be worthy of his love, and we need to consider that ourselves. So because God loves us, we first of all can love him, and then we can love ourselves. Then the Bible says, thirdly, because God loves us, we can love one another in the body of Christ. In the New Testament, 61 different times, we are given the phrase, one another. How many of you know that in the Christian experience, we do it better together than by ourselves? The Bible is quite clear about that. So clear that the word saint never appears in the singular, always in the plural. And God has put us together in community 
And in the New Testament, he tells us we're to have a ministry one to another. Several times we are told in the New Testament, I think as many as 10, that we're to love one another. But that's just one of the things the Bible says we're to do. The Bible also says we're to pray for one another and encourage one another and greet one another and forgive one another and minister to one another and bear one another's burdens and on and on the list goes. When Jesus was ready to go back to heaven after his time here on this earth, shortly before his return to heaven, he called his disciples together and he said to them, I have a new commandment I want to give to you, that you love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. John 13, 35. Jesus didn't say, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you preach good sermons or if you live a good life or if you pray much or if you go to church a lot. He said, if you want people to know that you belong to me, here's how they're going to know it, by the way in which you love one another. And then he said to his disciples, I have a new commandment for you, and here it is that you love one another, even as I have loved you. For those three some years that the disciples walked with Jesus in his journey to the cross, they saw the Lord Jesus as a model of love. First of all, they felt his love for them. They saw him reach out to those who needed him. He was always in the process of loving people. And he loved his disciples most of all. The Bible says that even though they betrayed him and they weren't faithful to him, he loved them until the end. And as he gets close to his return to heaven, he now says to them, you guys have seen how I have loved you. Now I want you to take that example and I want you to love one another. He actually repeated it again in the 15th chapter of John to make sure that it was going to be understood. In his last address to his disciples, he shared with them this major theme that they were to love one another. It's an interesting thing that in our churches today, we lose sight of that. We think that our churches are great because of the things that we do, maybe the money that we give, the buildings that we build. The Bible says churches are great because they reflect the love of Christ in their hearts as they love one another. That's one of the reasons why small groups are such an important building block in a good church. For it's in those small groups that we can express that love for one another in tangible ways. And so we look at our Lord's command and we realize how powerful that is. That because he has loved us, he's given us love now that we can not only reflect back to him and use to understand our own selves, but now we can Share that love with one another in the body of Christ. You know that Peter was present the night the Lord gave his final address. And he obviously understood what the Lord was saying. For in 1 Peter 4, 8, he wrote, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. John the Apostle was also present that night, and it's quite evident that he got this message too because he filled up his gospel and his first epistle with the whole message of love in such a way that you can hardly read a page that you're not bumping into the theme. In 1 John 4, 11 and 12, he wrote, 
If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. In another passage, he argues with us by saying this. If you say that you love God whom you have not seen and yet you don't love your brothers and sisters whom you have seen, what kind of sense does that make? If you can't love your brothers and sisters who you have seen, who you can touch and feel and hear and with your own eyes perceive, if you don't love them, how in the world can you love God that you can't even see? It's almost as if God is saying that we reflect our love for him in the love we have for each other. That's such a wonderful truth. That's what happens when you love one another. God builds into you this incredible desire to reach out to those you don't know and to express his love for them within the body of Christ. You say, well, how do I express my love for those around me? Let me just give you three ways. Number one, you do it by encouraging them. Encouragement is a commodity that is much in need this day. Can I get a witness? We have a lot of discouraged people. We have a lot of people that are going through tough times. You don't know how important it is that you get next to them with a word of encouragement. The Bible constantly says we're to encourage one another. The actual word in the New Testament language is a word that means to draw alongside of someone. I kind of see the picture of putting an arm around somebody and saying, hey, we're praying for you. We want to encourage you. And we want to be a blessing to you. And you know you have opportunities to do it wherever you go. I want you to know if you just open your eyes, if you just look, every time you turn around, there's somebody you can pray for, somebody you can encourage. We love one another by encouraging one another. We love one another by edifying one another. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians that we're to edify one another. The word edify is thrown around sometimes without a lot of understanding and meaning. But the word edify simply means to build up one another. It means that we impart grace to those that we meet. The word edify comes from two words in the Greek language, which means to build a house. And the word edify means to build up. How is it that in our churches we've missed that? And some folks have actually taken it to the other extreme. They believe their spiritual gift is to tear down one another. Instead of being renovators and encouragers, they become demolishers. They don't have a good word for you. They wait for you to do something that they don't like or say something that doesn't measure up to their standard, and you become the target of their criticism. Where do you find that in the Word of God? The Word of God says that as believers, we express our love to one another by encouraging and building up one another. And thirdly, the Bible tells us that we love one another by entertaining one another. This has to do with hospitality. The Bible says we're to be given to hospitality. You say, what does that mean? That means we're not just to do it when it's convenient or when it comes face to face with us. But to be given to hospitality means you look for somebody to be hospitable to. Looking for opportunities to encourage and entertain and be a blessing to people. Let me just say this is a final word about loving one another. That the greatest tool we have to be loving one another is in this book. There's so many times when you go to see somebody and you might be saying to your wife in the car on the way there, I have no idea what I'm going to say to these people. (laughs) 
But along the way, maybe the Lord gives you just a verse of scripture or maybe a psalm or something that you heard in church on Sunday. And so in the absence of something you've thought up, you just share with them the word of God. How many of you know that may be the most important thing you can do? God hasn't necessarily promised to bless our words, but he has promised to bless his word. And some of you have had that experience during this campaign. Let me tell you what I mean. You've written me your stories. You've told me what God has done. When you have simply walked up to somebody that you sensed had a need and said to them, let me just tell you something I want to give you today as a gift. God loves you. He always has and he always will. That's straight out of the word of God. How do I love another believer? How do we love each other? By encouraging one another, by edifying one another, by entertaining one another. And it's all wrapped up in our truth book, which is the Bible. Here you will find the things that will encourage others. And the Bible tells us we're to be champions in that regard. So let's back up for a moment and remember that because God has loved us, we can love him. Because God has loved us, we can love ourselves Because God has loved us, we can love one another. Here's the fourth ripple that comes from the love of God. Because God has loved us, we can love our neighbors. In the book of Matthew, we are told that people came to the Lord Jesus and asked him for the great commandment. And you remember, he gave them the great commandment. He said, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like unto it, remember what it said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now your neighbor doesn't necessarily have to be a Christian. In fact, your neighbor may not be a Christian and we're not just talking about the person who lives next to you in the house next door or in the apartment or in the condo next door. The Bible defines a neighbor through the Good Samaritan story as anybody whose need you are capable of meeting. That's what a neighbor is. Anybody that you see, anybody that you meet, and they have a need, and you have the ability to meet that need, that person immediately becomes your neighbor. And the Bible tells us we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. In the book of Romans, Paul was addressing the Roman church, and he gave them an incredible commentary on the importance of loving your neighbor In Romans 13, he said, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet the last five commandments of the Ten Commandments. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, You shall love your neighbor as yourself and then he explains what he means in the next phrase he says if you love your neighbor you won't do harm to your neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law in other words if you're a good neighbor you don't commit adultery with your neighbor's wife you don't steal your neighbor's stuff you don't covet what your neighbor has You are a good neighbor and you love your neighbor and you reach out to your neighbor and you express God's love to your neighbor in tangible deeds so that they can see the reality of Jesus Christ in you. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, we have one more part uh, to this series and it's tomorrow on the Friday edition when we talk once more about the love of God changing everything in your life. 
Friends, we've had such a wonderful time uh, teaching this truth. If you ever had a a subject you would like to teach on for a period of time, it's the love of God. Uh, there are the parts to the Bible that are not as easy to, to teach on, but I love to teach on this one. I can't tell you how much joy it gives me to tell you, whoever you are who are listening and wherever you are in whatever situation you're in, my brother, my friend, my sister, God loves you. He always has and he always will. And he has a plan for your life. If you will just cooperate with him, he will make you into the person he created you to be in the first place. Don't miss the opportunity. Tomorrow we'll come back with part two of what we talked about today and the incredible changes that come to our lives when God uh, puts his love all over us and we receive that love. And don't forget you can get all this material from the Love of God series from Turning Point, davidjeremiah.org. You can also get our resource of the month, the book Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss. It's yours for a gift of any size, and you have only a couple of days to make that happen. We will uh, have a new resource for the month of February, and this one will go away. So don't wait too long. Get your gift in the mail today. Do the best you can to help us with a generous gift. But whatever God enables you to give, you give it, and we'll send this book to you to add value to your life and express our gratitude for your investment in the Turning Point family ministry. So ask for Heaven Rules when you send your gift to Turning Point today. We're so grateful for your help, so thankful, and so, uh, so desperate for it. So help us in January. We'll see you next time right here on this good station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, God Loves You, He Always Has, He Always Will, visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Heaven Rules by Nancy DeMoss Wolgamuth and learn to find comfort and courage in this chaotic world. This powerful book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we conclude, God loves you, he always has, he always will, here on Turning Point. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. John Newton, the author of the classic hymn, Amazing Grace, lived a tumultuous life before meeting Christ. After years of walking with the Lord, 
Newton made this observation about God's providence and provision in our life. Everything God sends is something we need. Everything He withholds is something we don't need. Those are the words of a man who placed absolute faith in God's sovereign control of the affairs of his life. If we truly believe that God has promised to meet all our needs, then we will see His provision, as well as what He withholds, as the fulfillment of His promise. And we will be content. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the reality of God's provision on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.